Hebrews chapter number 11. In your Bibles, Hebrews chapter number 11 and uh, verse 17 down through verse number 19. And um, um, we're going to read... We're going to read those verses uh, together here and pray for us. We're, uh, we're making some adjustments on the fly. We have three cell phone cameras set up at three different angles. And this is our, this is our first time doing this for a full service. We did a devotional yesterday as an experiment. Some of you may have seen that. But uh, we, have, uh, we have a camera here. We have a camera here. And we have a camera over here. And I'm going to try to um, uh, offer you many different angles because some of you are very distracted. And if uh, we don't switch angles every five seconds, you're going to change the channel and you're going to go on and do something else. I'm teasing, uh, maybe. But uh, we're, we're, we're going to uh, do our best to get through this. Someone said, Pastor, make sure you preach and don't just try to teach to the cameras, but preach. Well, Wednesday nights I do more teaching than preaching Uh, But we're going to make the best of it that we can. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 17, the Bible says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure." We're going to go back to Abraham. So we looked at Abraham, and then we looked at Sarah, and now we're going back to Abraham. You say, Pastor, we're really dragging through the book of Hebrews. We're really dragging through Hebrews 11. We're moving at a snail's pace, and uh, we've already covered Abraham. Why are we going back to Abraham again? And the reason is is because we're, going, uh, we're emphasizing what the scripture, Scriptures emphasize. And uh, he, uh, the, the Lord wanted to circle back around specifically to the story of Abraham and Isaac when they went up the mount and Isaac was put on an altar and offered. And so if the scripture wants to us to call our wants our attention called to that, then we're going to give our attention to that. We're going to look at faith's examples this evening and talk about Abraham and Isaac. Let's pray. Lord, take the Bible study this evening and encourage all of us. Right now is a time of, of trust and faith where it needs to be exercised. Our flesh wants to fear. Especially during times of uncertainty, it wants to fear. But Lord, we must choose faith. We must put faith into action. And so Lord, help us to do that. Uh, Lord, uh, the gyms in Connecticut have been closed and people cannot go and lift weights or run. But Lord, uh, the, the spiritual faith gym has been opened. And you are calling Christians to enter in. And you are calling Christians to lift weights spiritually. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to uh, get through this trial with faith muscles larger than they've ever been. Help us, Lord, to walk by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to do something a little unorthodox this uh, evening. I'm going to open the Bible study with a story. And then uh, we're going to come back and finish the story at the end of the Bible story. Meet Jim Elliott. Uh, Jim was born to Christian parents, Fred and uh, Clara Elliott, in 1927. Jim put his faith in Jesus Christ as his Savior at the age of six. Upon his salvation, this is what he said to his mother. He said, now, Mama, the Lord Jesus can come whenever he wants. He could take our whole family because I'm saved now, 
and Jane, Jane was his little sister, Jane is too young to know him yet, so she would get to go too. Jim entered a Benson Polytechnic High School in 1941. Listen to this. He carried with him to every class a small Bible and developed his speaking abilities as he spoke out regularly of Christ everywhere he went. As a young man, he was not interested much in girls. Rather, he enjoyed going out with his friends on adventures. He once told a friend, he said, domesticated males aren't much use for adventure. Uh, once he finished high school, he headed off to seminary to study for church ministry. He attended Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois, and he spent time each day walking with God. In his journal, he wrote this, none of it gets to be old stuff, for it is Christ in print, the living word. We wouldn't think of rising in the morning without a face wash, but we often negate the purgative cleansing of the word of the Lord. He said this about the Bible, it wakes us up to our own personal responsibility. Can you see here how that Jim uh, developed his faith muscles as a little boy and how his faith muscles grew in the Lord, can you see that uh, with each step along the way, he was growing in the Lord and growing in his faith? Jim had such a burden for the lost in, in Chicago that he would take a train uh, to Chicago on the weekends and attempt to share the good news of Jesus Christ to those at the Chicago train station or out on the city streets. It said about Jim, he wrote in his, his diary or his journal rather, that he became discouraged because no one seemed to want to listen to him. While in college as a junior, he would meet his future wife, Elizabeth. Uh, after their first date had been scheduled, Elizabeth called and canceled the date. However, they would remain pen pals as Jim, upon graduation, moved back to Oregon with his family uh, and began to pray about what God's future for his life would be. There, he continued his Bible study and correspondence with Elizabeth. I want you to notice just how devoted that both Elizabeth and Jim were to the Lord as 22, 23-year-olds. They both felt a strong attraction to each other, but also felt that the Lord might be calling them to remain unmarried so that they could more effectively serve the Lord together. Uh, they were so consumed with serving God that marriage was put on the back burner as uh, a second option, as only an option if and when they got, got a strong green light from the Lord. Jim would spend the next several years attending a linguistics school where he would study unwritten languages. He would meet a missionary to the, uh, the uh, Quechuas of the Ecuadorian jungle, uh, through this meeting, God began to soften his heart toward going and ministering to the unreached people groups of Ecuador. Some of, the best, uh, some of what we know best about Jim was found in his journal. This is going to be up on the screen for you. Please read along with me and notice how devoted this young man was for the Lord in his 20s. This was an entry in his journal dated August 9th. He wrote, God just gave me faith to ask for another young man to go perhaps not this fall, but soon, to join the ranks in the lowlands of eastern Ecuador. There we must, one, uh, uh, learn Spanish and, and Quechua, 
Uh, two, each other. Three, the jungle and independence. And four, God and God's way of approach to the highland Quechua. From thence, by his great hand, we must move to the Ecuadorian highlands with several young Indians each and begin uh, work among the 800,000 highlanders. If God tarries, the natives must be taught to spread southward with the message of the reigning Christ, establishing New Testament groups as they do. Henceforth, the word must go south into Peru and Bolivia. The Quechuas must be reached for God. Enough for policy. Now for prayer and practice. Can you see how Jim Elliot began his faith journey as a little boy? As his faith muscles grew stronger, what God asked him to do became more and more extreme. But so did God's promises to Jim. As Jim grew in his desire to please the Lord, so also grew his faith. And as his faith grew, so grew God's calling on his life. And as he answered the call, the promises given to him grew larger and larger and larger. At the end of the sermon, we will share the outcome of Jim's missionary effort to this unreached people group. Faith is not just a feeling. Please understand this this evening. Faith is not just a feeling, it is primarily an action. Let's jump into the scriptures and notice four thoughts about the story of Abraham and Isaac that will help us to have a faith that never stops growing. Write these down if you can. Point number one, notice the practice of faith. The practice of faith. Someone once said that Christians are like a tea bag. Put them in hot water, and whatever is on the inside will begin to appear on the outside. Whatever is on the inside, you're going to find out because it's going to come out on the outside. Uh, when you look at a tea bag and it isn't in any water, you can only guess at its contents. Once it's put in hot water, then we find out what you really are. Uh, our daily lives are to be lived by faith. If we live each day by faith, then when we come to times of uncertainty, faith living will not be something we have to search for. Faith living will just simply be our natural response. As we have worked our way through Hebrews 11, we have seen that faith is not some theory, but rather faith is action. Faith must be practiced. What are those actions? Well, notice below point one, faith requires trust. Faith requires trust. Some have compared Christianity to a child believing in a book of fairy tales. They say Christians are a bunch of blind, simple-minded folks who have uh, swallowed the lies of some old book, hook, line, and sinker. Uh, is there any sense uh, of, of, of truth there? Is there any possibility that Christians are just a bunch of weak-minded, weak-kneed people who have just bought into this idea uh, that the, the, the fairy tales in the Bible are true? My friend, the stories in this book are not fairy tales. The stories in this tr book are true. Not just in some figurative sense, they are literally true. Yes, Jonah was swallowed by a well. Yes, Noah did 
survive the flood in an ark. And yes, there were two of each kind in the boat and seven of clean animals. And uh, yes, uh, Samson did uh, pull the pillars down and kill all of those Philistines. And yes, Jesus was nailed to a cross to die. And, 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 and yes, he did raise again from the dead. The book of the Bible is not some book of fairy tales. The Bible is true and we must trust it. Some say we'll prove it. And I would say, uh, well, prove that it isn't true. Prove that it isn't true. You see, the origin uh, is the issue. Where did human life come from? See, you have to choose between one of two belief systems or you must put your fingers in your ear and ignore the issue outright. To do the latter is to say that I'm afraid of what the facts are. You see, either we got here by an accident, either all of this order and complexity of the world around us happened by accident. There was just some explosion somewhere, uh, an order came from disorder, or you You must believe that we were put here by intelligent design. And there are no other options. One of the two must be the case. Let me say this this evening. It requires more blind faith to look at a world of order and believe that we got here by some explosion uh, some in space millions and millions of years ago than it does to look at the artistic masterpiece of the world around us and believe that the God created us. Faith requires trust. And you know what trust is? Trust is reliance. In times of emergency, who do you call? Uh, Do you just pick up a phone and dial any random number and hope the other person on the other end will be able to help you? Of course not. In a time of emergency, when you need to make a call, you pick up the phone and you call a loved one. Maybe you call 911. But why would you call a loved one? Why would you dial 911? Why? Because these are people in your life that have a track record of two things. Number one, they have come through for you or others you know in the past. And two, you believe that the system or the person cares for your well-being. You see who you trust? You trust those who, number one, are capable of taking care of you and two, desire to take care of you. What is faith? Faith is trust. Children have faith in their parents. Why? Well, in a good home, children know their mom and dad are A, capable of taking care of them, and B, in a good home, they know the parents love them enough to do so. Can I ask you a question this evening, Christian? Do you trust God? I know you say you do. Do you really trust God? If we were to look at your micro-actions, are they trusting in yourself? Are they trusting in your intellect? Are they trusting in your ability to earn? Or is your faith in a God who, A, is capable of taking care of you because he's all-powerful, and B, cares for you? Are you really trusting God? Faith is not just some theory that we throw out there. Faith is trust. So, faith must be put to practice. The practice of faith. How do we do that? Faith requires trust. Notice below, number one, faith requires obedience. Faith requires obedience. Look back with me at verse number eight of our text. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number eight. The Bible says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place uh, which he should after receive an inheritance, notice that next word, obeyed. And he went out 
knowing whither he went. Turn over to James chapter 2 for me in your Bibles. James chapter 2, and look with me at verse 17, and we'll read down through verse 21. Now, these are verses that many of us are familiar with. We've heard these verses, but I didn't realize this until I put the study together, or maybe I had forgotten, but these verses are tied to the person of Abraham. They talk about the life of Abraham, how that Abraham was a man of faith, and his faith was faith because he put work to his faith. Look at verse 17. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yeah, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar. Now, uh, Abraham was not saved when he put Isaac up on the altar. Uh, no, rather Isaac, his faith was proven. It was outwardly manifested both to him and to all of us that have read this account. It was proven his faith was real. Why? Because if you just walk around telling everyone that you have faith and you don't actually practice your faith with actions in obedience to the Bible, then your faith is dead. And I'm afraid that uh, we live in a world where a whole bunch of people claim to be religious, but they're not religious. They, they, or they have a dead religion. Why? Because they talk about how much faith they have, but to them, faith is nothing more than a theory. To them, faith is nothing more uh, than just uh, something they talk about and something they float out there. No, my friend, you show me your obedience to Scripture, and I will show you how strong your faith is. Can you really trust God in the tough times? Are you really doing His work when things go well? Are you really walking with God each and every day? Are you really concerned about your neighbor? As Scripture tells us, faith requires obedience. So what are the actions that prove our faith? Faith must be to put to practice. How do we do that? Faith requires trust. Faith requires obedience. Notice next, faith requires patience. Faith requires patience. This ties into our story with Abraham and Isaac. You remember all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 when God promised Abraham that if he would leave uh, uh, Ur the Chaldees, that God would give him and Sarah a son? You remember that promise that God made Abraham? Well, before I continue with that, let me ask you a personal question. How long would you wait for God to keep his promise to you? If God said, do this and I'll give you uh, I'll give you something for it, or I, I promise you something. How long is too long to wait? A day? A week? How about a month? You see, we pray for things. We have such a short attention span. If we don't get that prayer answered in a month, and, and that's a long time. Then we say, ah, God's forgotten. And we move on. Would you pray for something for a year? What about ten years? Have you ever, ever actually gotten on your knees and asked God to give you something for ten whole years? Do you know that Abraham did not ask God for a son for a day, a week, a month, a year, ten years? It was 25 years from the moment God promised him a son until he got a son. 
Faith requires patience. What if Abraham would have walked away? What if Abraham would have given up? What if Abraham would have said, enough is enough? What if Abraham would have said, Lord, you promised me this. My wife has even passed the ability to have a baby. Clearly you don't love me. Clearly you're not going to follow through. Clearly you've forgotten about me. Clearly you're not capable of keeping your promise. And he had turned his back on God. No, you see, Abraham remained faithful. Abraham remained a man of faith. Hey, did he stumble? Did he doubt? Was he curious? Uh, Were there times where he didn't know? Were there times where maybe he uh, wanted to walk away? Sure there were. He was a man of flesh and he, he was not perfect, but he stayed the course and God gave him a son. Look with me to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 13. Let me make this point as well. There were promises that God made to Abraham that he didn't even get to see. There were promises God made to Abraham that were realized after he was dead. What if God asked you to do something, made a promise to you, and came through on it after you were dead? Look at verse 13, Hebrews chapter 11. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, convinced of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Number one, we see the practice of faith. The practice of faith. Number two, notice uh, the promise of faith. The promise of faith. Look back with me to Hebrews chapter 11, and look at verse number 9. By faith, he, Abraham, sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of that same promise. So you ask, what's in it for me? Okay, you've convinced me. I'm willing to uh, trust God. I'm willing to obey God. And I'm willing to be patient with God and uh, work on His timeline and not expect Him to work on my timeline. I'm willing to, 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 to be all in. I'm willing to go in all the way, Pastor. I'm willing to uh, follow God no matter what to the ends of the earth. I'm willing to do whatever He asks of me. I'm willing to hit the spiritual gym and grow in my faith. I'm willing to give it all I got. Pastor, what's in it for me? Uh, Is that even a fair question to ask? And I'd say, oh, yes, it is. The Bible is filled with all sorts of, of, of incentives and promises that if we will walk by faith, God will give us this. Look at the carrots God dangles out in front of us in Scripture. I'm going to just uh, uh, rattle off a list of them for you here. They'll come up on the screen and uh, write down the ones you can. Hey, by the way, if you're uh, uh, listening to this on a smartphone and uh, you have the ability to take screenshots, if you see something you like pop up on your screen, take a screenshot and jot it down later. Um, uh, What are some of the promises uh, that come to a Christian who lives by faith? Uh, Notice first a promise of salvation. Romans 10.13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise. If you call upon the name of the Lord and you have a heart full of faith in doing it, you shall be saved. Write it down. Put it down. If you've called on God's name for salvation, he has saved you. How about this one? A promise of eternal security. A promise of eternal security. John 10, 28 says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them 
out of my hand. What has God promised us? He's promised us not only to be saved, He's promised us a home in heaven, excuse me, forever. How about Psalm 23, 4, a promise of divine protection? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the psalmist David said, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. There is that protection that comes from God. How about this one? A promise of a comforter to lead you and guide you. Now, this one's specific to New Testament Christians. This would apply to us. John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, Jesus told his disciples, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, this is speaking of the Holy Spirit, that he may uh, abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither know with him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Hey, these are great things. If we walk by faith and we're, we put our faith in Christ for salvation, uh, we are promised a whole lot. There's a whole lot there for the Christian. Boy, somebody here this evening is listening to this and they're wore out. They've been homeschooling. And uh, they're, they're tired of homeschooling. They're ready to send the kids back to school. And uh, you thought a two-week Christmas break was bad or winter break was bad. And this is going to go on forever and ever. And uh, your whole schedule's thrown out of whack. Maybe you're emotionally exhausted from worrying over what uh, is going to happen to you financially. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, uh, is a promise of rest for the weary. Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. And then there's a promise of peace in times of trouble. Listen to what Jesus says here to those who walk by faith. Isaiah 26.3. This is God speaking. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusteth. There's that faith. He trusteth in thee. If you are lacking perfect peace in your heart today, that is proof that your trust in God needs to be increased. He has promised. And God always keeps His promises. Every time. Every time. Number one, we see the practice of faith. Number two, the promise of faith. Number three, notice the purging of self-faith. The purging of self-faith. Go back with me to Hebrews chapter 11 and look at verse number 17. Look here, down through verse 19. This is where we began. Look here how God is trying to take Abraham's faith up even higher than where he is in his old age. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, when he was tried. Let me speak to that for a minute. Uh, the word in the New Testament is the word tried. If you go to Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1, you'll find the Bible says that God tempted Abraham. And uh, I've had people throw this out and say, I thought God doesn't tempt any man and that man, uh, uh, man cannot be tempted. In fact, James tells us that God doesn't tempt any man. And so we see here the scriptures clarify what's meant in Genesis 22, that Abraham was not tempted by God to sin. Abraham was tried by God to make his faith even stronger. What was God doing? He was turning up the heat under Abraham and taking away self-reliance, taking away self-faith and causing Abraham's faith yet to be even more pure. It was being tried. It was being purged. Look back here at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. 
And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Accounting, look here, that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Boy, what an extreme request. If you go to Genesis 22, uh, I get the sense that Abraham and Sarah are just waking up maybe on a Saturday morning and uh, they're enjoying some pillow talk and uh, they're, they're, they're maybe cuddling or getting ready to climb out of bed and, and hit the day and God comes down and speaks audibly to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want you to take your son. I want you to take your only son and I want you to take him on a journey and I want you to uh, t- take him to a mountain I will show you and you're going to take him up that mountain and you're going to build an altar. Okay, Lord, so far so good. I'm all in. He sa- And then he says, I want you to take him and bind him up and I want you to lay him on that altar and then I want you to take a knife and I want you to plunge that knife into your only beloved son. I want you to kill him. And Abraham must have thought to himself, but God, I waited 25 years for this child. Uh, This child was probably at the time 15 years old, and you promised me this boy. You promised me that I would have, I would be a, a, a father of many nations through this boy, and now you want me to kill him? You see what God's doing here? God is taking what Abraham loves, and God is saying, do you trust me even with that? Are you willing To part with that, I want you to kill your son. Wow. That is extreme. Now, I don't know that Abraham told Sarah, because Sarah probably wouldn't let him go. But Abraham obeyed. Let me make it practical. What if God asked you to do something extreme. Would you do it? What if God wanted to use your life to scream the gospel message to the world around you and he wanted to do that through extreme measures? Are you in? Are you game? God walked Abraham down a faith path. But even in his old age, God was still not done growing and challenging his faith. I can't even begin to imagine the faith that required for Abraham to take his two servants and his son on that journey. I can't begin what it must have been like to tie up your son, lay him on an altar, and take a knife and raise it in the air and prepare to kill your son. I imagine Abraham must have been thinking something along the lines of, What? After 25 years of waiting? And 15 years of enjoying a wonderful relationship with this boy? You want me to do What? God was saying to Abraham, that's not your boy, that's my boy. Abraham, I know what I'm doing. Abraham, do you trust me 
more than you trust yourself and your feelings? Christian, what if God asked you to do something extreme? What if God moved in your heart and said, I want you to sell all of your belongings and I want you to go to a foreign mission field and preach the gospel to people in a land that you know nothing about? I'm not saying God's going to do that, but you need to ask yourself this question. If God did, would you go? Or are you relying on yourself, on what's best for you? What if God called you to give up your comfortable lifestyle and serve the poor? Christian, what if God ordered you to adopt a child from an orphanage? Are you even walking with God enough to know that he was leading that direction? And if God did, would you say no or would you say, yes, Lord, I'm going to walk by faith? What if God ordered you to give all of your money away and live by faith? Now, I'm not advocating that you do any of these things unless God strongly tells you to do so. But what made Abraham the friend of God is that when God called him to do extreme things, he did it. He did it. I wonder if God does not send a virus like this to our world to just grab us and shake us real good and say, I'm still here, don't forget about me. When you look at the life of Abraham, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is put... Uh, uh, is brought into a whole new perspective. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct those, thy paths. Let me speak to the Christians here that are listening in who have been saved 15, 20, 30, 40 years, and for some of you even more than that. How is God purging you of self-faith? What areas can you point to right now in your life or over the last six months or over the last 12 months and say, God is growing my faith right here in this area. God is pushing me and God is challenging me. Please don't miss this. The stronger your faith becomes, God at times is going to come down in your life and he's going to push you to do something that is radical, that is extreme, that is crazy to everyone. And are you going to step? out and do it, even if it means being uncomfortable. The truth is, until we step on heaven's shores, God is going to continue to challenge each of us to rely on Him more and more each day. And the question isn't, is He pushing you into a greater faith? The question is, are you following? Number four, and lastly, notice the parallels of faith. The parallels of faith. Now, there are three passages in the Old Testament that are the clearest with the gospel message of the New Testament. Uh, Genesis chapter 22, Psalm chapter 22, and Isaiah chapter 53. These three chapters scream the gospel. 
of Jesus Christ. If you go read Psalm 22 and then you read the account of Jesus dying on the cross, there is no question Psalm 22 is written uh, uh, as a prophetic psalm, messianic psalm of the death of Christ on the cross. Isaiah 53 is where we find him being bruised for our transgressions and uh, for our iniquities and the chastisement of our sin being laid upon him and by his stripes we are healed and him being led as a sheep to a lamb of the slaughter. Genesis chapter 22 though is another interesting chapter because it was put in the Bible. This is the story of Abraham taking Isaac and sacrificing him. It was put in the Bible so we could see an Old Testament type of Jesus Christ. Isaac is an Old Testament type of Jesus Christ. He is screaming the sacrifice of Christ. So uh, we're going to put these up on your screen at home. And uh, these um, these will come up one at a time. These are parallels between Isaac and Christ. Before I give them, again, I just want to make this point. If Abraham had not had faith in Christ, we would have never had the story. If Abraham would have relied on his logic and what was sensible instead of what God told him to do, we would never have had these parallels. Look how beautiful this is. And I don't have time to divulge. Again, if you can take screenshots as these come up, I would encourage you to take screenshots. If not, write them down as quick as you can. If you're not able to do that, call the office or text me, and I will send you my notes. All right? Here they are coming up one at a time. Here are the parallels between Isaac and Christ. Number one, both fulfilled promises. Both fulfilled promises. God promised Isaac uh, uh, to Abraham and uh, Sarah, not by name uh, in Genesis 12, but he was promised that he would come. Jesus was promised in Genesis chapter 3. Number two, both were the only begotten son of their father. Hebrews 11:17 calls Isaac uh, uh, Abraham's only begotten son. Jesus is called God's only begotten son in John 3:16. Number three, both had a miraculous birth. Both had a miraculous birth. Isaac's account of that is in Genesis 21, verse 1. Uh, and Jesus had a miraculous birth. Luke 1, 34 through 35. Obviously, he was born through the womb of a virgin. Number four, both had a conception and a birth that was pre-announced. Isaac, Genesis 18, 10. Luke, uh, Jesus, uh, uh, the, the angel announced it to Mary. Luke 1, 30 and 31. Number five, both were named prior to their birth. Isaac, Genesis 17, 19, God told Abraham to name him Isaac. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, God told, tells Joseph to name the baby Jesus. Number six, both were undeserving of their sacrificial death. Isaac, Genesis chapter 22 and verse 2. Jesus, Luke chapter 23 and verse 41. Uh, both were sacrificed near the same place. So I'm going to take a moment and talk about this one here. It is my strong opinion that the place where Isaac was offered up is the same mount where Jesus was offered up. Now, we know, uh, uh, we know from studying the geography uh, of, of the book of Genesis, we know that it was the same mountain range. Here's my question. Why would God order Abraham to take Isaac on a three-day journey to the same mountain range where Jesus would be crucified and then not walk him up the same mountain? That would make no sense. And so it is my strong opinion that Isaac, several thousand years prior, was laid on an altar just as Jesus would be nailed on the cross for our sins. God was trying to make a point. Uh, look here. Uh, 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 next. Uh, uh, both had a three-day experience. For Isaac, Genesis 22, 4, it was a three-day journey. For Jesus, he was in the earth for three days 
and three nights. Number nine, both were accompanied by two men. Isaac, Genesis 22, 3, tells us that two men, two servants of Abraham, accompanied them on their journey. Jesus was nailed between two thieves. Number 10, both carried their own wood up the hill. You may remember Isaac is carrying the wood on his back. And he, or in his arms, and he says to his father, we have the fire, we have the wood, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham uh, famously said, God will provide the sacrifice. Jesus carried his wood up the hill. He carried, uh, John nineteen seventeen tells us he carried the beam of the cross on his back. Number 11, both submitted to their father. Now this is an interesting point. Isaac must have been a man of faith. Think about this. Uh, uh, historians tell us that Isaac was somewhere between 15 and 30 years old when this happened. Now, Abraham, that would have made Abraham 115 to 130. Have you ever stopped to think how easy it would be for a 15-year-old to get away from a man who's 115 years old? Have you ever stopped to think about that? Isaac willingly laid down his life. He willingly laid on that altar just as Jesus stretched out his arms and willingly was nailed to the cross for me and you. When we walk by faith, God is going to ask us to do some extreme things. The more extreme the action, the more likely the gospel will be preached to others through that experience. We began the message this evening talking about Jim Elliott. I believe Jim is a modern-day representation of a man who walked by faith, even to his own peril. You see, after Jim finished up at the linguistic school, he headed off to learn about aviation, and he met up with some other men. Uh, one of them was named Nate Saint, and uh, Jim and his team would go to aviation school and find a sandbar in the middle of the Karari River uh, that would work as a landing strip uh, for the plane. And they were, el- they were elated to be able to finally have a chance to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with this people group. These people were savages. Uh, these people uh, 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 were not civilized on any level, but these people needed the gospel. The story goes that after their first meeting, uh, uh, they, uh, they flew in, and uh, they met several of the men, and their wives were able to establish contact with some of the wives. And uh, they took one man up in the airplane and flew them over the top, flew him over the top of the tribe. And the man opens up the window to the prop plane there, you see, and he calls out in his own Quechua language down below and, and says, Hey, look here, up here at me. The men lovingly nicknamed him George as they had a hard time pronouncing his name. Well, they let George out of the plane and they left. George would go back and he would lie to the tribe about the men's intentions, about the missionaries' intentions. This lie led to the Waodani warriors. They planned an attack when the missionaries returned. The missionaries landed the plane. Check this out. Here was the ambush. They put three women on the other side of the river and these women cried out for help, and as these, these men wandered knee-deep into the river, the savages came out, the warriors came out of the bushes with spears and ran them through with spears. One man headed into the plane and put his hand on the radio in an attempt to call for help. He was ran through by a spear while he was trying to call out on the radio. 
Jim was carrying a pistol on him when this happened. But Jim never drew his pistol or shot a single person. You see, they had predetermined not to use the gun on any humans, only to use it to protect them from animals. Well, why wouldn't they fight off in self-defense? Here was their logic. If they kill us, we are going to heaven. But if we kill them, they're going to go to hell. They would have rather die martyrs slip into heaven than to shoot a savage, shoot one of these Indians and send them to peril in hell. Jim had devoted his entire life to serving Christ. God had called Jim Elliot to die for his cause. One of the treasure troves we have from Jim's life is his journal. One entry in his journal has become one of Jim's most famous quotes. Here it is. He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Christians, I'm afraid that too many of us are going through life clinging to things that mean nothing and will burn up with a fervent heat. We want our comforts. We want our cars. We want our homes. We want our bank accounts. We want our retirement funds. There's nothing wrong with any of that on its own. But we're racing through life, clinging to things that just really don't matter. Jim gave up his life, and what did he gain? He gained a whole lot more than you and I will ever understand. What he gained can only be known in eternity. You know, the other hero in the story is his wife. I mentioned earlier how that uh, they didn't want to marry because they weren't sure if that was God's plan. Well, eventually they would marry. And at Jim's death, Jim and Elizabeth had a 10-month-old daughter named Valerie. Now, if savages killed my spouse, I don't know that I would want to hang around. But Elizabeth stayed in Ecuador. She had already developed a relationship with a couple of the women of the tribe. And she continued to work that relationship. And after two long years, those people, those savages who had murdered her husband, opened up their village and let the women in. Elizabeth had the opportunity to lead the men who had murdered her husband to the Lord. In fact, Nate Saint, who flew the plane, Years later, his son would come into the village. One of the men that murdered the boy's dad would baptize him in the very river where his dad was murdered. Boy, Jim did not enjoy the rewards of his faithfulness while alive. But make no mistake about it, long after his death, that savage tribe is no longer savage. That savage tribe, they still remain a Christian people today. Why? Why? 
Because when faith called for them to do something extreme, they answered the call. How about you today, Christian? What's God calling you to do? Are you walking with Him? Do you even know? Boy, look at the gospel message that has been preached. Look at the hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of people that have been saved from reading the account of Genesis 22. What would God do with your life if you were obedient to Him? Lord, I pray that you would help us to take a powerful truth. Lord, apply it to our lives individually where needed. Those watching this are all over the map when it comes to their own faith. Some have faith that is weak. Some are not even saved and need to get saved. Others have gotten saved but are living by their flesh and not by faith. And then, Lord, others have lived a life of faith for years but have plateaued and ceased to grow. Lord, as you challenge our faith, may we grow therein. Lord God, we love you. May that love be proven by our works. May we trust you. Lord, may we obey you. And may we be patient with your timing. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for joining us this evening. I'm glad you were able to, um, to, to stick with us and stick it through. I hope the Bible study has been a help to you and a challenge to you. And we look forward to seeing you on Sunday morning. Sunday morning will be Palm Sunday. And we, uh, we're going to bring a message in line with uh, that day, Palm Sunday. So we hope that you're here, uh, here with us on the live stream and uh, you'll, uh, you'll be a part. God bless you. We'll see you this Sunday.